Hello and welcome back to the FAAA podcast here in the beautiful countryside of Adelaide, actually in the in the convention centre here in Adelaide. Laurel Papworth, welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, of course, you've been presenting today on a couple of sessions, uh, mostly around the hot, hottest topic on earth at the moment, which is AI. Uh, a, a relatively, you know, a, a new conversation of, of just over a year or so old, but uh, been around for a long period of time. But you do all sorts of lecturing. You run courses on this. You've uh, you've you've spoken today about it. You've shown up here to the podcast stand. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Do you want to do you want to give the listeners a quick overview of you, your business, and what you provide so far? Okay. Um. So f- artificial intelligence has been around for a long time, and I've been pretty committed to it at least since 2008 if not before but I do think that ChatGPT in particular which I like to call ChatBro has democratized AI because up until last year if I was teaching AI I had to go through formulas and weights and biases and technical constructs in order for people to even start to play with AI, with ChatGPT, they suddenly get it because that intelligent part of generative AI, the ability to jump the inference divide, the ability to be given a couple of data points and extrapolate out a whole strategy from that is the thing that intrigues them because it's like it's thinking. It's not. It's certainly not thinking heuristically like we do. It's it's around transformers and neural networks. But I can see how even my 78-year-old mother's like, oh, I like this generative AI thing. And I'm like, yeah, cool. You wouldn't have liked it a year ago. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly been uh, a lot of people getting involved because it's a little bit of fun, a little bit of uh, interesting. It's, it's a bit that variable reward of what's going to pop up. And it actually some of it makes sense, which is great. Let's let's uh, talk about some of the things that you've been talking about here at the conference, you know, and I think uh, you and I were just talking about the whole of the the industry as a whole, and, and we might start with things like the, the whole of the ethics of, to, to do with AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might talk about the, the big picture before we start getting into the, the nitty-gritty. Well, I think given today, and it, this has only happened since the weekend, but there's been a break in all the major companies providing responsible AI directions. So Microsoft and Apple folded their responsible AI ethics committees. OpenAI imploded a couple of days ago because their board, which is focused on human first, they're not looking at investors, they're really looking at what are the ethics of AI, um, hit, hit a wall basically. About 80% of the staff have talked about moving to Microsoft now. And then Facebook, Meta this morning, dissolved their responsible AI committee. So my challenge going forward is if the big companies with the big AIs and Google as well has folded their responsible AI are no longer looking at ethics and responsible AI, then what do we know as consumers and end users about how ethically AI is going, is going to behave going forward? And here's the challenge. We're not talking about a naughty child here. We're talking about something that can decide to finish the human race or that we should no longer have certain services or might decide to dissolve certain things and only allow a small percentage of the population to have them because AI will tend to follow 
what it's learnt from us. So we've not always been the best teachers. Ooh, just put it that way. Big news that's coming out. So those firms, of course, set those those departments up a year or so ago before they sort of To be transparent. Now, there's something in AI that's called system cards, model cards, and data sheets for data sets, which is, and I know the audience likes to geek out. but I'm I'm geeking out right now. You're geeking out. Um, It's nutrition cards or nutrition labels. So when you buy a pack of Tim Tams, it tells you the calories and the sugars and the carbs. You, of course, decide never to read those nutrition labels and eat them anyway, but that's your choice. So AI comes with these. So, for instance... When I'm working on social media news feeds, um, marketing people don't always understand that if they go into the technical area of Instagram or Facebook, they can look at the system cards and the model cards on how the algorithms work. So the algorithms are documented and the data sets where the data came from is documented. It's one way to make sure that whatever system you're putting in-house doesn't have like um, that Westpac um, hijacked uh, hacked data, and suddenly you've got unclean, what's called grey or dark AI data going in. So we need to make sure that the data in is clean and that it's had all the approvals. Um, one of the things system cards and model cards, those nutrition labels do, is they say this data is approved for this use. So the data is approved for my hospital and my GP to have access to. It's not approved for medical or finance, or any other, or job applications. They can't come and have a look at my health records to determine if I should get a job or not. And I would suggest at the moment we have very few regulations against uh, to protect our data at that level. Normally there's something called click wrapper, which is, and the courts do frown on them, it's where people are forced to click, I agree to terms and conditions to get past that wall without reading the terms and conditions, without recognising or understanding what it is they're giving away and what the implications of that would be. I would also suggest that as as system cards and model cards for AI become normal and we read them and we check them like we do um, on packages of food, maybe we want to put that on-chain meaning on the blockchain. It just means in a digital vault with smart contracts so that we can make sure that it's verified on-chain, make sure that it's verified so that somebody can't come in and sneak additional material in or hide things because AI on-chain can't be taken out to a boozy lunch and convinced to do something with the data it shouldn't be able to do, like certain organizations and institutions in Australia have recently been caught doing and are now facing, you know, severe penalties. AI just won't allow it. You can't convince AI on chain to do something that you might be able to convince somebody in an organization to do. So that's creating a verified ledger of the fact that it was set at that at the time and if you make any changes it's going to be blaringly obvious. Yeah, and if you are a finance institution and you're trying to look up somebody's health records, the AI will say that information has not been released to you. End of. <laughs> There's no no taking somebody out for a boozy Pricewaterhousekeepers lunch, you know. And getting no names anyway. mentioned here, yeah, by the way. No, yeah. you can edit that out. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> not that it's not. Um, anyway. Not that it's not known already. Yeah. Um, okay, fantastic. And so, yeah, lots of interesting points uh, inside of this conversation around um, where AI is heading in this space. Um, 
before we get into the where is it heading, because that's probably the the, the the unknown or the dark hole or whatever it might be, how is it? How is it? How have you been working with businesses and how have you been working with people and educating them on to where AI has come from and where it is now? I've taken a multi pronged approach. I had to look at the whole industry and then make some decisions. So. One area I focus on a lot is structured prompting because it's just a hot topic. How do I get better output by improving my input? And I always say a poor workwoman blames her tools, but obviously it's usually the prompts. So even I sometimes prompt like a chat GPT or generative AI, it doesn't have to be a GPT, and then go, oh, that's rubbish. (laughs) And then I have to look at it and go, actually, my prompt was rubbish. That's why the output was rubbish. So I'm, people want to know how to, um, for instance, role play or have the AI become a mentor for them. So that takes more structuring than just going, can you write me a finance plan? Can you write me a HR strategy? The second part that I try to focus on is encouraging people to train their own AI because it's actually really easy to do now. I cannot believe I'm saying this because a year ago this would not have been easy to do. It's like, I'm sorry, but you need at least four engineering degrees and three blah, blah, knowledge acquisition, psychology courses behind you. And now, of course, it's like, yeah, download, install, and get start running. Fine-tuning of an AI is it is still a skill, but it's one that if you're willing to take the time to think through, and if you are a subject matter expert, a passionate unique, committed subject matter expert, fine-tuning an AI, it, it just takes thought. Like, how do you think through your processes and then just show the AI because it recognizes patterns? This is how I think. There's something called few-shot prompting, which is where you say, here's an example. Actually, I have a bit of a joke. I, students say to me, what's few-shot prompting? And I say, let me show you an example. And they go, no, what's few shot prompting? I go, let me show you an example. It's not a very good joke. But that idea that you f- you can show some examples to an AI, it's able to say, yeah, like, I get it. I can do 500 of those now because I've seen what one example looked like. Let me show you the rest. So um, once they've trained rappers or specific AIs, we also look at running a private model on your laptop because people think that it needs very powerful machines and it needs uh, high-tech. But GPT-4, Llama, Stable Diffusion, all of these are free. They're able to be downloaded. They're open source. They're ba- um, a Llama is actually from Facebook Meta, but it's available for commercial use. And then you can start uploading your business documents because it's behind the firewall, right? So you're not going to be thinking, oh, it's going to connect and start telling Facebook all my stuff. So it's behind the firewall so you can upload your documents. Again, though, you do need to be careful because if you've not been given permission to use that client's information in your AI, you might be using it in ways that was not approved initially. Which is exactly what we are talking about before, about the terms and conditions, knowing your own terms and conditions Mm. of what permissions you've been given to use of the data that you're collecting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you might think, Initially, I just want to use it specifically for something that the client said, yeah, that's fine. I'll give you that data in return. You'll give me a financial plan. And then the next thing you know, you're thinking, oh, I'll do this to personalize email marketing. But then that personalized email marketing is based on data sets that were drawn out of the client's records because that's how you personalize it. So now that's not something they agreed to. And the GDRP or whatever it's called in Europe will be 
all over that in other countries as well. So, yep. yeah, there's some issues there. And whatever happens with our Privacy Act next year, when they reviewing it and comes out, could actually be a problem with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And th- this is one of the issues is because once the AI is being trained, if it does have grey data, dirty data, anything that's like synthetic data, you cannot clean it. Or you you can, but it becomes extremely difficult. It's much harder to go in. I guess it's like if you go back to Web 2 and you think of an email list and then realize that out of your 5,000 names, 500 of them shouldn't be on there, you'll have to go through manually and find each of those, verify that the other 4,500 are correct and appropriate. And who wants to do that? That does, doesn't Not sound me. like a fun way to no, spend the weekend. No, no. Uh, now, I want to go back to what you said before around uh, the concept that um, – that AI will be or can be uh, on your computer disconnected to the yes. internet. You want to talk a little bit more about how you might have it on your phone or your or your or your computer without that connection. Um, I think there's two areas here. One is if you download it and put it on your laptop, and then and then or let's say you put it on a server behind the firewall, and then you train. The AI, the, the model that you've downloaded on standard operating procedures or HR policies or anything, staff could then query without having to navigate through a taxonomic menu system. I need to go to the HR menu, then I need to go down to policies, and then they're unreadable, right? If they could instead say, I don't know, am I allowed to date the cute guy in the cubicle next to me? It will go and check those HR policies. That's a poor example. Can you think of another one? Let's use another one. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of the concept of, uh, a, a client. Let's say that you have provided some advice to, I mean, I know you don't work in the financial advice space no. per se, um, but let's say a financial advisor provides the client with, um, some advice. And that device might be around particular strategies or there's fees and there's product selection, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons why that relates back to their situation, puts them in a better position, et cetera. Then if that client can log into their, the advisor's GPT that's just for them and say, why was that recommended again? Would it be able to then pull up that information from that conversation and say, oh, well, it was because blah, blah, blah? Uh, yes, there is an issue with something called chain of thoughts, which is where the AI doesn't always explain step-by-step step why it made a recommendation, so you actually have to use a special prompt called chain of thoughts, which is just a fancy, schmancy way of saying step-by-step. Step, <laughs> yeah. step you, know, you know, otherwise you get a, um, should I, uh, I'm, a f- I'm a finance advisor, should I be on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn? If you get the answer LinkedIn, and then sometimes you say why LinkedIn, the AI goes, I don't know, and it acts like a teenager. Like, I don't remember why I said that. But if you actually say, should I be on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, tell me step by step why your reasoning, it will say, you don't have a visual product, therefore Instagram's not a good fit. You know, Facebook is mostly blah, blah, whereas LinkedIn is B2B. You work very much in a B2B space, so therefore LinkedIn is why I recommended it. So there is those kind, there is that issue with the exact example you're giving, but I, there's functionality within AI which says that the customer can log in and say, what products should I be using now? What should I be looking at? Let's say January next year. And the AI is using a reasonably high, what's called temperature, which means that it's able to extrapolate out and make a recommendation. And then 
query you, would you like me to rerun this again in another couple of weeks to make sure that information is still correct? So it will continually update and make sure that you're getting the best advice. I'm actually doing some work with um, procurement at the moment and one of the things that we looked at was there's a case study of where a factory in Taiwan burnt down and the only news clipping was in Taiwanese and the only person I know that knows Taiwanese is ChatGPT and it read that news clipping and then understood the whole logistics of that there's a little chip that's made in that factory that then goes to Taiwan that is then put in something larger which then goes to China which is then put in something that then comes to Australia which is put in farming machinery and then the AI was able to say in six months, your warehouse will be empty of this particular device. Therefore, you should shift to this other one. And when asked why, it was kind of like, well, but if you were able to dig in, it was very clear that it knew that the factory was going to impact something six months down the track. And even weather patterns can be brought in by an AI because if you think about big data or what we like to call too much data, too much for a human being, it's velocity, super fast, volume, meaning such a lot, veracity, its truthiness actually comes from the amount of data that it has. So it doesn't, it's not looking at outliers. I once had a client that once did this. It's not really in its, um, in its vocabulary. So there's some really interesting things about mixing up real-time data sets with a GPT, which is pre-trained. Um, GPT means it's already got a mass of data. Then you bring in live data or you bring in live feeds and it's able to make incredible, many, many data point kind of conclusions that our little brains can't compete with. Wow. Well, my little brain can't. I don't know about yours. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm AI. I'm average intelligence. <laughs> I'm not sure you can uh, say that you've got a little brain. That doesn't quite compute to me. Uh, Laurel, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us on the podcast. Um, you you uh, You do run courses and you, and you have courses. And as you said, you've been doing this a lot longer than most of the experts on LinkedIn that have been doing it for six months after <laughs> crypto um, died, died and they changed. Uh but tell me, tell us a little bit about those courses, how people can get involved, and, and if they want to get a bit more, a uh, bit more technical. Yeah, I have, um, I have a course on artificial intelligence called AI is my copilot. Copilot means in Web three the same that developer did in Web two. So if you think about a Facebook developer, or web developer, or an app developer in Web two, uh, a copilot is often around AI or something similar. So it's just another term, and it's really a foundation course. I license that course to the Australian Institute of Management and I run it once a month, once every couple of months or several times a month, I should say, but in different locations. So Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, occasionally Adelaide, occasionally Canberra and quite often virtual as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm also working with other organizations to provide like industry specific courses and I'm looking to partner up with people in the different industries so that I can ensure that I bring AI to the table, they bring their subject matter to the table, and then we find a way to say, how is it going to work specifically in your industry? Because as you would know, something like a finance industry is going to be very different than maybe a hairdressing industry or or 
I don't know, uh, doctors and healthcare and yes, government and things like 100%. that. 100%. So if people want to um, jump onto your course, uh, Australian Institute of Management, was that? Australian Institute of Management. And I'm also to talking that. to the yeah. FAAA about running a specific finance advice course with actually Jackie. Wonderful. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah that, sounds, that sounds amazing. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast booth and, and sharing your your immense knowledge. I'm sure you've got plenty more that you didn't share, uh, but th- I really, really appreciate your time and, and, and thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me.